This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. I know Christine gets really um, agitated around some of the subjectivity and, you know, biases, as she says, that ChatGPT has with some of these words like cozy and breathtaking. But I actually just dive right into there. I take pictures of food and then I say, describe this in a very appetizing way or tell me a story about the, the platter of food that this image contains. And it just goes on and makes everything sound so delectable, and then I start sending things to my friends. I don't know if it actually sounds that appetizing or looks that appetizing. Sometimes it's like, this is, a, what did it say, Kels? Chicken with seasoning on it. Yeah, with seasoning <laughs> on it. I, I think it's the familiarity, right? Yeah. It's what people expect. If you, again, I go back to this is not created to do description for blind people. It's it's created to, it's created to look at something and then translate, and mm. that's what, we are asking it to do yes. something, so therefore the default is, I'll describe it like yeah. you're leading your audience. Exactly. Book. Oh, the fun you can uh, have with the entertainment side oh, of it. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And we know that's what a writer would choose to do with it. If yep. I want this described, describe this plate because I'm putting this into my book. Okay, let's use the great words. Makes for a good right Instagram later. post, that's say, for sure. Well, make, make this something for a book, <laughs> you know, the intro for a chapter. Folks, it's time as we gather. Speaking of conversation, speaking of description, it's time for the weekly roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now, goes, well, I don't know. I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Every Thursday, we do this open conversation. I facilitate by gathering a few things together. Invite Ramya and our guest of the week to join us to have a chat. Friend of the show, Mark Phoenix, is back with us. Mark, often on the show, you hear him filling in when uh, Bill's away. And it's so wonderful, Mark, to have you back on board with us, pal. Oh, it's always wonderful to be here to uh, cause some trouble and uh, give you some headaches. <laughs> well, we know there's so much going on in the world. So let's see what kinds of things we can get into today and, and, and what pots we can stir. A new report says that vehicle crashes in the, and fatalities in the U.S. Has, uh, for young drivers has actually fallen dramatically. The nonprofit group Governors Highway Association says looking at statistics from 2021 and 2022, fatal crashes involving drivers under 21 years old have fallen by 38%, and deaths of young drivers have dropped even more by about 45%. For drivers 21 and older, fatal crash and deaths rose during that period. The report acknowledges that young people are driving less than they were 20 years ago, but it highlights several other reasons for the decreasing numbers, such as state programs that phase in driving privileges and often ban certain activities like driving at night or with young peers and making driver's ed available to everyone. I'm Donna Water. So, Mark, I was of the impression, I guess spoiled, that driver's ed was so available in high school, uh, at least where I went it was, and I think it was one of those things that I thought was just part of curriculum. I know that people taking driving lessons would get shown those alleged scary videos and stuff like that of this is an accent scene and see what kind of messages it would leave, especially the young people. Um, You know, I'm kind of curious what you feel, what you've observed through your life when it comes to this. I mean, the state's there. They've got some great programs in the way of, hey, not driving at night. And we, we see a lot of this and know this now. What do we do also with those older people that are still drinking and driving and 
doing things to taking the chances and getting in trouble. Well, to the to your first point, from what I saw, I had a similar experience. All of my peers talking about going to driving class after school, taking their f- first try at uh, driving a car, getting their G one, their G two, and getting to a state where they can you know drive me around all day, which would be you know, nice. pretty nice. Um, I like that. Yes, Friends I like that very first. much. You're Finally, my if you're a chauffeur. someone who's not my parents. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> and I, I would like to know that any statistics taken during the period to 2020 to 2022, they might need an asterisk for ver- for various obvious reasons. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, I would like it very much if the youth uh, accident and fatality rates stayed down in coming years. I'll have my fingers crossed about that. As for older drivers, drivers who continue to insist on driving in an altered state, as for what can be done, um, there are laws on the books in many places, and they just need to be enforced. I know in... When I lived in Toronto until recently, one major problem was that traffic enforcement had basically stopped. And for a while, people were all but racing on the main highways at night. Yes. Um, yes. So a lot of it is just keeping an eye out, uh, you know, reporting if you spot someone weaving. And for someone who just absolutely insists on doing it, driving is a privilege. It's not a right. And that privilege can be revoked if you prove to be dangerous at the wheel and that's something that unfortunately has to happen now it's tricky given that in a lot of places if you can't drive you can't get around that's well right. you, might, you might have start, you might have to make some friends real quick willing to carp who are willing to carpool with you if you manage to you know get your privilege revoked for being the last person who should be at the wheel the don valley racetrack you refer to i, I mm-hmm. remember these races that would be on there and it'd be just absolute incredible Ramya, from your peers in school, um, obviously, inner city too, a little bit different. And I always think of that when I hear less people are driving. That's kind of what I thought of. I I like the fact that they were saying young people can't drive younger people around down there in the States. A little fast forward from Mark and I kind of in our time thinking, or mine, then Mark's time. How how was it? Did you pay any attention to this kind of thing? And what, what impressions did you have of friends, younger people driving? I think there was this strange kind of uh, limbo that I think people my age, or as I started to notice, like, younger people from me, because around my time it was the same thing. People were taking driver's lessons. People were very serious about getting their G1 when at the earliest possible convenience, right? And um, wasn't there some kind of law change, at least in Ontario, where they had moved it from 18 to 16, or you could, you know, drive with the G1? There was something that was going on that affected... timing, I think it was, you're talking about. You could get it, but that you had to wait a year or something for the next, yeah. But if you got your G1 at this time, you know, you turn turn 16, get your G1 and uh, be able to qualify for G2 the next year or something like that with driver's ed. So anyway, there was something that was going on where people were so serious about getting their driver's license as soon as possible as soon as uh, conveniently or you know financially or otherwise possible for them but then around my brother's age and he's born uh oh one 2001 um there was a slowdown of people wanting to get their driver's license as soon as possible i think like the priority of becoming a driver was starting to shift i don't know what that the reason around that was or reasons um maybe it was just more financial like who's affording a car right now so uh, what's the point of getting it yeah or that it was more 
you know, normalized to commute and people were either living closer to the things like the, the places where they needed to go, school and home, I'll just live right there and not necessarily need a car. But these discussions were becoming way more nuanced and it wasn't just this given that you were going to start driving as soon as you could start driving. I also wonder how much people just made other things priority, such as stereo equipment, such as tuition, yeah, yeah. things that they just said, I don't want to be in Where debt do you want to put your money? This is something I want. Mm. And we know, Mark, we've heard now that there are so many young people. I am, When I say young, I'm talking kids under 10 that are making money doing things on the internet and things like that, that they're able to do. You know, where we had kids running and delivering newspapers, they're finding that digital way now. Yes, they are, you know, designing websites. There's some mm-hmm. people getting into crypto, um, you know, becoming, you know, junior YouTube and TikTok stars. There, there, there are ways to pull in some money and save your pennies for, you know, another day. And if you live in a big city with a decent transit system, you don't need to put that money toward a car. You can put it toward wow. other things. Or if you're planning to move to a city with a decent transit system, you know, when you go to post-secondary education or you move away to start your own career in life, depending where you go, you know, you, you might not have to buy a car or you could be like me and move to a place where there is no public transit and Either you have a vehicle or you need to get one. But yeah, if you're getting started making money early on, you can sock a bunch away. They can give you a pretty decent head start coming out of school. Yeah. Just other priorities. I think that's where, as Ramya speaks of that time, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, next thing, guys, the official opposition is attempting to have a House of Commons decision studied It's an editorial decision, that is, of the CBCs, even though its independence from government is enshrined in law. Toronto Metropolitan University journalism professor Emeritus Paul Knox says the Tories are out of line. It's really offside for politicians to be questioning the judgment of journalists in terms of language in, in, in news stories, you know, particularly where they where the implication is that it is going to be a relevant factor in their votes and decisions about funding a public broadcaster. CBC, enough of uh, kind of a tricky thing. So since we put so much money into it, many of us don't actually utilize it in this country as probably we should. Um, and and it is a, be- a wonderful service. Now, this is really all about the fact that the CBC is defending its policy not to call Hamas, um, uh, excuse me, not to call Hamas militants terrorists in its reporting of the uh, Israel-Hamas war, saying its coverages has multiple represent, let's get the word out, folks, multiple references to terrorism, but it doesn't itself designate specific groups as terrorists. And and for myself, I I get that. I've heard the statement that was posted online um, the blog p- posting that was that was written pertaining this and understand where they were going. Um, at first, Ramya, a lot of accusations as to the feel of CBC, are you realizing how how disastrous, how mm. horrible the actions of this group, how terrorizing, how much they should be noted as terrorists and stuff. And I'm watching my words a lot because of our discussion with Danielle uh, mm-hmm. the other day on the program. Yeah, see, that's the thing, right? We now, and it doesn't have to be now necessarily, but especially now, uh, we 
want to be able to not just put ourselves in an A or B category or box or black or white response to something, um, but we also expect everybody else to do the same. And that includes individuals, it includes entities, it includes governments, it includes international relations. And I think that CBC is understanding the significance of why not to do that? You know, their significance um, as, a, as a broadcaster, um, as what they've carried historically, um, as just in all senses, I think that it's a very difficult decision and a very difficult thing to maintain, to tr- try to represent everything, to try not to um, pick sides, to, uh, you know, stay politically, if not neutral, just diverse but yep. they're understanding yep. they're understanding that this is important it's crucial and exactly as you said Kells I'm very much thinking back to our conversation with Daniel McLaughlin on Know Your Rights where we discussed this exact same situation of you know is it appropriate and can we step away from you know actively consciously step away from just throwing around words and categories to to place people where we need them to be so that we can feel more satisfied with how we want to, uh, what stance we want to take on the situation. And Mark, to sit there and say that if we call them this name, that makes us feel better because of the barbaric behavior. Um, your thoughts? Well, the CBC, like every other media outlet, is walking a very careful line at this mm-hmm. moment. Um, and for you know either the government or the opposition to lay some pressure on over what's, I mean, this is highly journalist. This is a this is squarely in the realm of journalism. How do you describe an armed group? Do you use one word or another? Um, for the government, for the opposition uh, to try to bring pressure to bear about the use of the term is, to me, well outside of bounds. Uh, mm-hmm. The CBC sure. isn't doing something Absolutely. egregious here by trying to be Mm-mm. careful with their language. There, it's a it's a news outlet. It's it's the public broadcaster. They have to be careful mm. with how they describe organizations and individuals. And for, you know, a, a political party to try to engage in pressure tactics, to try to score political points, doing something uh, to try to embarrass the arm's length broadcaster, which that particular party would, const- you know, occasionally floats defunding anyway. Um I mean, it. I guess is the kind of typical behavior you can expect from right. Parliament. You know, this is the kind <laughs> of you know thing that happens. But it's important that CBC sets standards and adheres to those standards and is held accountable to those standards That's in right. some manner. But but in an impartial manner, in a manner That's that they're right. answerable to the whole of Parliament and not just whichever party wants to throw brickbats no. at a given time over a current controversial conflict. And us, our tax money. Guys in the control room, I want to skip down to the fourth item. Um, So we'll just go down to this one here with a new study has has found that a couple extra minutes to snooze may not quite be what you need. 
hitting the snooze button? You may want to think twice after learning the results of two studies. They found regular snoozers may not feel any less drowsy and that they may not sleep as deeply as they could if they didn't hit the button so often. Snoozing didn't affect mood, nor did it appear to lead to cognitive impairment. But the study's authors say more research is needed there. Those who snooze tend to be evening types, and they get an average of 13 minutes less sleep than those who never snooze. Daria Albinger, ABC News. A troublemaker that tries to enjoy my darn ball game, my hockey, my whatever. So, Mark, you, how does this fit your shoes? You can pry the snooze button from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I am a snoozer. I have no shame. Uh, I am an evening. Actually, the bit about snoozers being evening people is an interesting observation because both Deborah and I really are kind of more afternoon evening people, partly because we're an hour and a half in the future from the rest of you uh, in Ontario and further ahead <laughs> the rest of the country. But also, it just it just tends to be where our systems settle. Like, we are kind of afternoon, evening people. Other people are morning people who pop awake the second a single photon of sunlight hits their eyelids. Right. Uh, I mean, there's 8 billion of us. We have, you know, there's a diversity of uh, circadian rhythms among us. It is interesting that snoozers apparently get a little less sleep because yeah, i guess that's you, know, you, wow. you try to i guess maybe trying to build in you know oh i'll you know i'll pop awake at this right at this particular time and you end up staying up a bit later because you think you have the extra month extra time to cheat and you actually don't and there you are with only five and a half hours of sleep needing to hop in the car as soon as possible uh yep, interesting study it. anyway um, but nonetheless, I know you're crying. Oh, so funny. Yeah, no, I didn't want to hear that I get less sleep because I snooze 17 times. That's pretty upsetting. Uh, but it is disruptive. I will say that. I don't feel more rested because uh -huh. I snooze. It's habitual to me. I can't stop it. Have fun with your alarm clock tomorrow as you're thinking about it, as you're hitting. We will. And hitting. And hitting. Mark, thanks a lot, pal. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Kelly and Ramya, for having me on. As usual, Mark Phoenix, always enjoyable on the roundtable. Lots of great perspective that we get here as much as we can. We will return. Oh, oh, <clears throat> oh, we uh, will ladies return. Roundtable once a week here on the program on Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, Ramya, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to tell the people that we will be back uh, to wrap up the show, tell you a little bit more about the Internet and give you a preview of what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. We'll be back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.